0: Welcome. You're listening to the Gideon Warrior Radio Network. Look for us on TalkShoe.com. Type in keyword Gideon Warrior Network. And you can find us and other Israelite speakers at ChristianAmericanMinistries.com and AngloIsraelTruth.com. Please remember, your free will gifts and offerings help us to continue laboring in the vineyard. Please consider visiting our support page. We thank you for visiting our network and sites. It is our prayer you'll be edified by them. Here's the message, and thanks for listening. This is part 13 in the series, What's Wrong with America? We'll be returning to part 6 as we bring what's wrong right up to the feet of God's people. You will recall in part 6, we revealed God's divine adjudicative principles. We discovered one of the first judicial precedents to judge righteously at Deuteronomy 1.16. And God established a second at verse 17, not to respect persons or fear man, as the judgment is God's. These two precedents are given by God to the adjudicative agent as well as the administrative civil servant agent. We rediscovered the charge to the administrative and the adjudicative agent, and this precedent-setting charge given at Deuteronomy 16, 19-20 is, and I quote, Thou shalt not rest judgment. Thou shalt not respect persons, neither take a gift, for a gift doth blind the eyes of the wise, and pervert the words of the righteous. That which is altogether just shalt thou follow, that thou mayest live and in inherit land which the Lord thy God giveth thee.' End quote. One of histories, egregious examples, of these two simple precepts or principles of legal or adjudicative precedent, violations was that of the Roman system of law. Historical understanding concedes this Roman system of law consisted of two main principles often as social control through law. This becomes civil law or law written down also referred to as precedent. This word is an interesting one and bears cause for a momentary diversion into an understanding and awareness of it in helping us to come face to face with what's wrong with America. Webster's 1828 defines it in two separate illustrative forms. First, and I quote, A precedent condition in law is a condition which must happen or be performed before an estate or some right can vest, and on failure of which the estate or right is defeated. End quote. The duty which man owes to God and in service to God in his creation of man as pertains to God's divine adjudicative principles, which we are currently engaged in rediscovering, is to judge righteously. This precedent condition in law, as defined by Webster, is Deuteronomy 1.16. It is that condition which is required to be performed before the estate, the inheritance of the land, Deuteronomy 16.20, vest. the failure of which causes the estate, the inheritance, to be defeated. I trust this is making sense and everyone is getting it. Pastor has on occasion done messages uh, referring to the clean hands doctrine or principle. This adjudicative precedent and clean hands doctrine or principle are one and the same. Now the second definition in law is, and I quote, a judicial decision, interlocutory or final, which serves as a standard for the future determinations in similar or analogous cases, or proceedings which may serve for a standard in subsequent cases of a like nature, end quote. The God of Jacob, in his divine adjudicative precedent of Deuteronomy 17, laid out a binding judgment in order to keep or continue claim to the inheritance. So, What does this have to do with Roman or Roman civil law, you may be asking? One need only look at the voluminous record of civil law code enacted in America to become clearly convinced this part of Roman jurisprudence has found its way to America and is in being in large part practiced and adjudicated throughout the land. This social control through man's legislative enactments continue to burden and strangle the economic production of God's people, requiring more and more of them in production to make more and more bricks. The exacerbating volume of external civil law results in a corresponding decline in Christian self-government, after the fall of this great pagan empire, the peoples of the world, and indeed God's people, spent nearly a dozen centuries living in abject isolation and divorce from God's divine word and law, far removed from generations who no longer knew the Lord their God or his divine word. The history of God's people has and continues to be a history of portraying their departure from strict observance of God's divine laws, and in its place they routinely adopted the governing practices of those around them. So it is with God's people in America's history. What radiated all over the world as a beacon of light, justice and righteousness was and is becoming dimmed as his people have modified the way of life they once radiated to the world over. From Roman civil government let's fast forward to North American continent after centuries of wandering the continents of Europe God's people, upon whose hearts he had written, had in apparent exhaustion from the Baalistic pagan civil law being practiced everywhere they had migrated, they at last embarked on a journey to a land prophesied of in Second Samuel 7.10. By way of quick review, let's read it, and I quote, Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. End quote. Remember, as the ministry bringing you this broadcast has brought you to this truth before, that God's people were already living in the promised land of old Palestine. Now that prophecy should beg some questions. Who are the children of wickedness who were afflicting them? How had they been afflicting them? Who or what, constitutes a child of wickedness. Has God eliminated their existence? If not, could they be great, 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 great you get the idea, great grandchildren of the wickedness today? Are these the same children of the wicked one Christ referred to? Why is it that very few seem to have any pause or question as to who these children of the wickedness could have been? Well, I'd better get back on point and back to that prophecy of that promised land. Could it be a fulfilling sign of that prophecy spoken of by Edward Johnson in his 1618 work entitled, Wonder Working Providence? Listen as I quote, The summer after the blazing star, whose motion in the heaven was from east to west, pointing out to the sons of men the progress of the glorious gospel of Christ, The glorious king of his church, even about the year sixteen eighteen. What an awesome sign, a blazing star, whose motion was east to west, a sign to all those with anticipatory hearts and eyes of the promise of such a place. And what did they bring with them when they came? Let me quote John Locke As men, we have God for our king. And are under the law of reason. As Christians, we have Jesus, the Messiah, for our King, and are under the law revealed by him in the Gospel. And reason, which is that law, teaches all mankind, who will but consult it, that being all equal and independent, no one ought to harm another in his life, health, liberty, or possessions.' End quote. With this law principle, of the gospel, to be secure in one's health, liberty, or possessions as a fundamental and foundational principle, a way of life is born. They brought with them a way of life in recognition of life, as a gift brought into you by your natural parents, but as divinely ordered as that of the universe. And some have called it the natural law. In this natural law that orders the universe, The fingerprints of design and order govern. Laws of motion, which movable bodies, from active and inactive matter, must conform to. To the whole process of plant and animal life cycles are recognized as being performed in a miraculously guided involuntary process under superb direction of its creator. So being created in the image and likeness of the creator, it follows a subsequent free will to conduct oneself in that life given by that Creator. Likewise, as with a law of motion, other universal life cycle processes came regulation and restraint of that free will conduct by immutable laws governing humanistic natures. Thus they came understanding all of the humanity's laws are dependent upon these immutable laws in nature, and those revealed from time to time by divine providence or direct intervention. In the words of Blackstone, let me quote, Human laws that annex, allow or enjoin us to commit it, we are bound, that is to say in duty, to transgress that human law, or else we must offend both the natural and the divine. End quote. What this means is, they came with a heart, understanding the order of God's creation. They immediately began employing their adjudicative roles under God's self-governing divine immutable principles, revealed in his word, preserved through time, and written upon their hearts. They executed and adjudicated according to that law for hundreds of years, abstaining from the pull and draw of pagan administrative and adjudicative practices of the past. These people, with God's law and immutable order of nature upon their heart, instinctively knew and understand the signs and the divine call. It became the greatest single mass migration the world had ever experienced or known as the shores of the North American continent became filled with those coming for the advancement of the Christian faith. Then came that fateful fifth day of June 1628 to get a sense of the gravity or emotion of that day. I'd like to quote from John Fiske's The Beginning of New England, 1889. And I quote, On the fifth day of June, 1628, the House of Commons presented the most extraordinary spectacle, perhaps in all its history. The famous petition of right had been passed by both houses, and the royal answer had just been received. Its tone was that of gracious assent, but it omitted the necessary legal formalities, and the Commons well knew what this meant. They were to be tricked with sweet words, and the petition was not to acquire the force of a statute. How was it possible to deal with such a slippery creature? There was but one way of saving the dignity of the throne without sacrificing the liberty of the people, and that was to hold the king's ministers responsible to Parliament in anticipation of modern methods. It was accordingly proposed to impeach the Duke of Buckingham before the House of Lords. The Speaker now brought an imperious message from the King, warning them that he would not tolerate any aspersion upon his ministers. Nothing daunted by this Sir John Elliot arose to lead the debate, when the Speaker called him to order, in view of the King's message. Amid a deadly stillness, Elliot sat down and burst into tears. For a moment, the house was overcome with despair. Deprived of all constitutional methods of redress, they suddenly saw yawning before them the direful alternative, slavery or civil war. Since the day of Bosworth, a hundred and fifty years had passed, without fighting worthy of mention on English soil, such an era of peace as had hardly ever before been seen on the earth. Now half the nation was to be pitted against the other half. Families were to be divided against themselves, as in the dreadful days of the roses, and with what consequences no one could foresee. Let us sit in silence, quoth Sir Dudley Diggs. We are miserable. We know not what to do. Nay, cried Sir Nathaniel Rich, we must now speak, or forever hold our peace. Then did Grim, Mr. Prine, and Sir Edward Coke mingle their words with sobs while they were few dry eyes in the house. Presently they found their voices and used them in a way that wrung from the startled king his formal assent to that petition of right. Quote. Wow! I'll bet none of your history teachers taught any of you about that. This history is a powerfully insightful as they prepare and establish a condition of the heart and just what was in that petition that these american colonists perceived in their being by the king's response would cause them to fear their condition and life as to end in slavery or civil war it was a recitation of grievances it really was quite simple actually It reminded the king of the laws enacted under two previous kings, and of lawful judgments, due process, martial law, the right of the people to be secure in their health, life, and possessions, all being abridged by the king, acts of wickedness in high places. It would be another sixty years that would pass, and the colonists would once again find the necessity to reiterate their grievances, in the famous rights and liberties of Englishmen. Now what does all this mean, one may ask? God's administrative agent and English king in representing the lordship over the realm of the kingdom began to evince wickedness in all things. God's people's history is replete with disobedient administrative agency. Remember how we learned that the administrative civil servant agent is individually, unequivocally, responsible to God. Nearly an additional 100 years now passes as we fast forward to the latter 1700s, when the fears of the men assembled in chambers in 1628 became prophetic in substance. By an act of Parliament via the Prohibitory Act of December 1765, the colonists were no longer under the Crown's protection and began to wage against them a war of profound consequences. A Declaration of Independence was drafted, and it was published July 4, 1776, about six months later. Would the way of life of the children of God, who migrated to the shores of North America, be once again afflicted by the children of wickedness? Through this brief history that we've embarked on here, To clarify God's adjudicative laws, it is apparent that the answer to that question is yes. The administrative authorization of God does not constitute a power greater than that of the Creator. Kings and king's men, government and governing agencies, are not empowered by God to do injury and harm to his children's health, life, and possessions. It has been said that in colonial days one-third of the people were part of the king's court, in other words they worked for the king. One-third of them were in servitude to the king, in other words they owed the king, or they were living upon a subsistence from the king, in other words they couldn't provide for themselves. And the other one-third was supporting the other two-thirds. America has arrived again at this same condition In 1628, they considered it slavery. Today, it is referred to as render unto Caesar or obedience to government is obedience to God. This is a heart condition, much different than that which French jurist and writer Alexis de Tocqueville uttered, and I quote, religion in America must be regarded as the first of their political institutions, For if it does not impart a taste for freedom, it facilitates the use of it. I do not know if all Americans have a sincere faith in their religion, but I am certain they hold it to be indispensable to the maintenance of public institutions. Again, Jefferson has additional sentiments on the subject, and I quote, Among the most estimable of our blessings is that of liberty, to worship our Creator, a liberty deemed in other countries incompatible with good government, and yet proved by our experience to be its best support. The right of conscience we never submit, we are answerable for them to our God. I shall need the favor of that being in whose hands we are, who led our forefathers from their native land, and planted them in a country, flowing with all the necessities and comforts for life. I ask you to join with me in supplication, that he will so enlighten the minds of your servants, guide their counsels, and prosper their measures, that whatsoever they do shall result in your good, and shall secure to your peace, friendship, approbation of all nations. End this is an expression and manifestation of the heart, a condition of the day, the heart was in accordance with the divine adjudicative principles of Deuteronomy to 17 and an example of the adjudicative charge of Deuteronomy 16.19-20 that they may live and inherit the land. The purpose of this message so far has been to take you back in time to rediscover a history lost through time to a time where the condition of the heart is most apparent a condition so yielding and so conscience-stricken it would not yield to the dictates of wickedness in high places a time and place where you might once again discover God's divine adjudicative principles to judge righteously if God's people will not wickedness must as it is the antithesis to righteousness God's people in America are blind to their identity biblically this word implies Want of discernment. Moral depravity. To darken the understanding so as to blind the mind. To darken or obscure the understanding. Not having the faculty of discernment. Destitute of intellectual light. Unable to judge or understand. Ignorant. God's people in America have become ignorant. Unable to judge or discern judgment. Destitute of intellectual light. Caught in the web of the children of wickedness is moral depravity. A condition which begins with the heart. I firmly believe this and the Spirit moved me to look at the word up. Now it's a funny thing, you know. We often think we pretty well know what a word means, but often we only really know the most basic or familiar form of the word. Now Strong's has it as number 3824. It is the basis of the word, as we commonly refer to it, as that inward and innermost organ, the heart. But it also indicates its use at 3820. Now 3820 says, and I quote, It is widely used for the will and even the intellect, end quote. In addition to its reference to the innermost organ, I found it edifying the number of times the word is used. Over a thousand times. Also, number 3824, which is the base or common term referring to the organ, it is the predominant form used throughout much of the Psalms, roughly one-eighth of all use as those deal more with the heart as emotion. But Proverbs uses number 3820 more widely as those scriptures deal to a greater sense to the intellect or wisdom and understanding. The Proverbs employ its use for about one quarter of the Bible's overall usage, with the first five books of Moses employing it for another quarter. The bottom line is, its most widely used form is not as from the primary sense, and for that reason, God's people would do well to at all times prepare one's heart in the will of God as an organ for understanding and wisdom so they may fully engage in the duty of man in implementing the divine laws of adjudication, judging with righteous judgment, and discerning righteously. Now in finality, since we're on the study into God's adjudicative principles and law, we also should ask the scriptures divine such words as judicial, judge, judgment, or the variant forms to round out our understanding as necessitated by the adjudicative command and charge given by God to his people. In the New Testament Greek concordance, it is largely used as numbers 29, 17, 29, 19, 20, 22, 23, and means predominantly to decide, to distinguish, mentally or judicially, the function or the effect for or against crime, punish, avenge, etc., end quote. So one is to decide or distinguish mentally the function or the effect for or against divine law. In the Hebrew, it is number 8199, 1777, 4941, predominantly, and it means to rule, judge, minister, judgment, a sentence or formal decree of divine law, pronounce sentence for or against and vindicate or punish, end quote. So it is a divine law of adjudication to vindicate or punish. Now let's see if the principle is done away with in Christ. Let's begin by setting the table, if you will, with Jeremiah 7, 1-12. And I quote, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house, and proclaim there this word, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all ye of Judah, that enter in at the gates to worship the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Trust ye not in lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Are these... For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you oppress not the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and shed not innocent blood in this place, neither walk after other gods to your hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I gave your fathers for ever and ever. Behold, ye trust in lying words that cannot profit." Will ye steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods who ye know not? And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered to do all these abominations? Is this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. But ye go now unto my place, which is in Shiloh, where I set my name in the first, and see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people Israel. End quote. Jeremiah's account here is a historical recitation of grievances, spoken by God himself, as Jeremiah records it. Question. Why is God concerned with his children amending their ways? and the thorough execution of judgment between man and his neighbor. After all, the church world today says that he's about to lay down the life of his only begotten son for these transgressions, and all who believe in him shall be saved. So what does it matter? Well, it does matter, and the children of wickedness know that it matters. In past messages of this series and many too numerous to mention available on this ministry network have referred to you many times to the parables. We're not going to again go there to review them at this time. The equipping of the saints is now begun. You are either for the nobleman of Luke 1912 12-14 or you are against him. In your decision, the reward of verse 27 will be upon your head. This is why it matters who you are and this is why it matters that the sayings of Jesus Luke 6:46 to 49 and others refers to be done it is now time to amend thy ways and execute judgment christ would that you would not have to judge but to walk according to the will of his father lest you should be judged by the judgment also it is a heart condition much like the condition that you would find at 2nd Chronicles 15 to 25 a condition recorded for our learning and understanding to remove the blindness of our eyes could this be what's wrong with America stay tuned for part 14 thanks again to Pastor Peters for his fight of faith and this opportunity to minister under the children of the new covenant as Hebrews 8 8 informed us of This is Doug Nelson, trusting you will hear these words one day. Well done, thou good and faithful servant.